We are grateful you're here this evening, and we look forward to studying together for just a few moments. I may have misspoken uh, to Brian. Maybe I am in charge of the sermon length, but not how long it takes us to get out of here total if we start late. Maybe I should have clarified that. I also, uh, on my way back to, uh, to gently remind Brian we need to get started, I got reprimanded several times about the title of the lesson tonight. Everyone's concerned about what the title means, what it is, and when I told them that it was exactly what it looks like, which is math, and they almost threw me out at that point, uh, that we're going to be talking about math tonight. But I hope that you're uh, looking forward to the good lesson that uh, we prepared to think and challenge ourselves for just a moment this evening. We appreciate uh, those who were able to be with us this morning and the time we've had to encourage one another to get today, both in song and in the study of God's Word. Uh, when I'm thinking about Sunday night lessons in particular, I've shared with, this with you guys several times, uh, and certainly as we got back to our Sunday night services again uh, not too long ago, but I'm always looking for a, a little bit of different idea, maybe something just to uh, challenge us, to cause us to think. It's a good time to do some, uh, maybe even a little deeper thinking or study uh, to try to challenge ourselves. I don't mean that any particular audience is very much different than anyone else, but we all know that sometimes we have folks who, who know that Sunday morning is a usual time of worship. They might walk in never having been here before and be curious of what's going on. So sometimes it helps to have particular lessons that may be geared towards that kind of person that we can find encouragement in as well. Very often on Sunday night, we've got some of the best of the best. You all are here because you feel the importance of it. You're here because you want to study God's Word uh, for a few moments together. So uh, sometimes when I'm putting together the lessons or the titles, I'm always looking for, for ideas. And this one that we're going to look at tonight is one that caught my attention as I was reading an article this week uh, by a brother that preaches down in the Tuscaloosa, Alabama area. And he just uh, he writes a blog and sort of had a, a very short article, and I wanted to take it and expound upon it. I don't mean to be, I don't know if coy is the word, but, but irreverent or anything. I don't uh, mean to try to be, you know, try to twist thing or, things or anything like that. But I like to try to pique your interest from time to time. Uh, if you know me, you may have heard it said me say it before, before you like this, but I, I wasn't much of a math guy. Uh, math was always my, my struggle. And I, I firmly believe that we should not use letters in math. I don't know why there's ever an X or Y or Z in anything that's actually math related. Uh, so but we're going we're gonna to kind of take a look at this tonight. And the other thing I'll say, just by means of a brief introduction, is um, as I was putting this together and thinking about this particular lesson, this might be one that we might even consider. We use a phrase sometimes, uh, the idea of preaching to the choir. you know, And it's the idea, of course, that you're talking to people who, who do know the Bible, who are uh, maybe good students and know these kinds of things. But I think it was a pretty interesting challenge. Uh, this particular brother who uh, was <coughs> preaches in the Tuscaloosa area was traveling down, he said, a little further into lower Alabama, down towards the beach on vacation. He was in a Bible class, and the Bible class teacher that morning, on a Sunday morning, made a statement similar to this. He made the statement that we're going to cover, but it, if you're a math formula type of person, then you kind of rec uh, understand and get this idea. The first part is the idea of biblical illiteracy. Biblical illiteracy, that was supposed to be an I, depending on the font you're using. It may not turn out exactly like a, an I we're used to. But the first part of the equation is biblical illiteracy. We, we understand the concept of illiteracy. Um, it's, of course, usually when we say that, we mean it's simply the uh, inability to read or write. But if you were to look up a, def a definition or to look it up, plug it into a Google search and try to find a definition. Another definition that comes up is it can be a lack of knowledge in a particular subject. A lack of knowledge. 
not trying to be mean, not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that to say somebody's illiterate, but it could mean that, yes, you can read and write, but you lack some knowledge in a particular area. There is another word that is attached to that that I think really carries that idea with it as well, and that is the idea of ignorance. You know, we tell somebody they're ignorant, that sounds kind of harsh. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of us would take offense to that, but sometimes it would simply mean that we are, we are unlearned. We don't know something. We need to be taught something in particular, whether it's a skill, whether it's a fact about something, we may just be ignorant about that. And so maybe that is kind of the idea along with this as well. And could it be that as we're talking tonight, that there are people who are biblically illiterate? You know, when we think about illiteracy, I, I did a little research this afternoon for, for just a moment, but we know that in our country there is a, a strong emphasis on making sure that not only our children, but as I was trying to do some research, the idea of adult literacy, that even our adults, if they maybe didn't get it for whatever reason, or they, they dropped out of school or whatever, that our adults know how to read, <coughs> excuse me, read and write. Doing a little bit of research in Massachusetts in 1642, uh, in the United States, there was the general school law of 1642 that was passed that really tried to encourage people and kind of made statements in Massachusetts that people, there needed to be someone among each township that would be able to teach children to read and to write. In 1964, there was actually the Economic Opportunity Act of 1964 that dealt with education opportunities. And as we think about our country growing and we think about people learning at home, that of course early on in our country there was a lot of homeschooling, quote unquote, people were taught at home. And you know what's interesting about this? I kind of thought it was funny thinking about it this afternoon. But what were people taught? How were people taught usually to read and to write? What were they taught to use? The Bible, of course, right? As we think about literacy or illiteracy, we think about that it's kind of ironic that people used to be taught using the Bible. In fact, if you go further in Massachusetts history, or come forward, I guess, back towards us a little bit, in 1647, one of the famous laws, or more famous laws for Massachusetts history, was it was entitled, or it's carried with it over the years, the title of the Old Deluder Satan Law. The Old Deluder Satan Law. And it said, it came from the first sentence, the first part of this particular law, and it read a little something like this, it being one chief project of that old deluder Satan to keep men from the knowledge of the scriptures, and then it went on from there, and declare that each township should appoint one person to teach all children to read and to write. So because that first sentence that one of Satan's chief projects was to keep people from knowing the scriptures, it was called the old deluder Satan law, 1647. And it's interesting because that's how people learn. But yet we look today and illiteracy is not a problem. I mean, it's just really not. Certainly there are people who fall behind. People don't get the schooling they should get for some reason. But biblical illiteracy is absolutely, of course, still a problem. We think about the Bible in Hosea chapter 4 in verse number 6. The Bible says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. <clears throat> when we think about history, and even as far back as the children of Israel, there were people who were illiterate when it came not necessarily to the Bible, because obviously they didn't have it in print form like we do, but to the word of God. My people are destroyed 
for a lack of knowledge. It's interesting to consider that and really consider, is it still happening today? And what we want to talk about and the reason the formula is used is because there is a problem today, certainly, with people who do not know the Bible, who do not care to read it or to understand and certainly not apply it. So then what does that mean for us? Well, without a little bit of warning, I've got a test for you tonight. We won't ask you to show your answers. Uh, You can keep up with your own answers. But I want to ask you, is it in the Bible? I've got about six of these here. Number one, is it in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who who help themselves. It's interesting because you've probably heard that. And you've probably heard it maybe even a lot from people that you know and love. Buford and I were talking just a few moments ago. He stopped me out front. We stopped and talked for a minute. And he had several questions about something totally unrelated. But we were pointing out that very often, if you listen to someone, we made mention of the fact we were kind of talking in particular about the idea of a funeral service or a visitation service. And you think about talking to people, very often you will find lots of false ideas that are not in the Bible. So you heard this before, but is it in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. It's the concept, maybe, maybe, but that's certainly not found in the Bible. What about there were three wise men who came to see baby Jesus? Now, if anybody misses this one, you're in trouble because we did preach on that. I don't remember if it was last year in 2020 or maybe at the end of 2019, but we did talk about some of the myths that people have from the Bible or what they think is the Bible about the holiday of Christmas as it's celebrated, the songs that are sung, and all of these things. So I hope that no one misses this one. But, of course, the Bible does not say exactly there were three wise men who came to see baby Jesus. But if you ask some people, they would probably be willing to bet their life savings and everything they own to say, absolutely, that's what the Bible says. It's always played, it's always sung in the store when I go out, you know, in December at all these places you hear that song. It's got to be true. Well, These are some things that are not in the Bible. What about cleanliness is next to godliness? Well, for many of us, that was found in 1 Grandma chapter 1 and verse number 3. Uh, But I don't think that's actually in in the Bible there, right? The idea that cleanliness is next to godliness. Does God tell us to take care of our things, to be a person who is clean in essence, maybe, But if you're looking for that verse, you're going to have to look at one of those extra uh, biblical biblical references like uh, like First Grandma or whatever you may have. What about everything happens for a reason? It's a little different. Those first few were kind of a little humorous, maybe things that we've thought about before. Everything happens for a reason. We've heard people say that. What about in connection with that? God will not give you more than you can handle. You know, what's interesting is I think these things are meant to help. Both of those two in particular are meant to be helpful. You see, I don't think that people are just saying those things flippantly just to just to make something up. They're trying to be helpful to whoever they're talking to. They're trying to encourage them to say something like everything happens for a reason or God will not give you more than you can handle. Once again, we'll go back to the idea of trauma. We'll go back to the idea of a a funeral service or a visitation where you're talking to someone who is in sorrow, who is hurting. But you know, we also also told told in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8 to speak the things that are true. Whatsoever things are true, meditate on these things. I know you've probably already figured it out by now, but all of these things are not in the Bible. And what about finally for our quiz here, say a prayer and accept Jesus into your heart. 
I, didn't I did kind of put them in order, but, but didn't necessarily mean to exactly. But, but think about, we said a couple things that are kind of funny, right? And then we said a couple things that are serious that, that we say, though, or maybe we've even uttered them from time to time to try to encourage someone. <clears throat> but what about this one? Because we might have heard someone say this as well before. Are they biblically illiterate? Are they trying to be a good person? Are they honest or sincere? What are we saying and what, do our, what, what words are we using? Are we speaking as the Bible speaks? Or are we just simply saying what we hear other people say? There were a couple other in this particular list I didn't, didn't throw onto the slides, but, but things like money is the root of all evil, of course. We know that not to be what it says, but the love of money. What about God wants me to be happy? A lot of people have made decisions in life upon this idea that God wants me to be happy. And there are plenty of people who will stand on TV and who will stand in front of crowds of thousands upon millions, especially with television and internet reach, and tell people the idea, God wants you to be happy. I think God wants us to be happy. I would agree with that. But usually the context of that is not exactly the right way, that, that we would not agree on what that means. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. So biblical illiteracy, does it exist? Absolutely. But let's talk real quick about the rest of the equation. You see, part of the problem is, is biblical illiteracy plus religion. The second part of the equation is religion. A lot of people claim religion. Cleanliness is next to godliness is not something, I mean, that's something anybody could say. Again, we joke about grandma saying it, but, but any kind of mother or, or household person could say that to try to get people, you know, to pick up and clean around the house. But someone who says, say a prayer and accept Jesus into your heart and you will be saved, that person's not just saying uh, happy things that make you feel good. They're talking about religion, so to speak. They're trying to tell you things that are not biblically literate, but they have to do with religion. So the problem here in the equation we're talking about tonight is that biblical illiteracy plus religion equals superstition. Well, see, that wasn't so hard, right? That wasn't too bad of a math problem. Biblical illiteracy plus religion equals superstition when you get those together you get superstition or someone who is superstitious we know from the bible that that phrase is used depending on the version you may have in front of you acts chapter 17 and verse number 22 you may recall in acts 17 that paul has a a whole field of vision and a whole area full of people who are claiming to be religious they've got that that problem of of being religious but the problem is, is that they're also biblically illiterate. Acts 17, 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. The idea of superstition, of course, is something that is a wide, widely held belief, excuse me, a widely held but unjustified belief. Let me get my, my quote here correct from uh, the definition I looked up, but a widely held but unjustified belief. As I was thinking about the idea of superstitious, <clears throat> sometimes some uh, few synonyms that people use were irrational, groundless, unfounded, superstitious, or superstition. I don't know that people who are all the time who are pretending to be religious or maybe not even pretending. I mean, they're trying to be religious. They're trying to be faithful to God. But the problem is, is that they are often biblically illiterate. And what happens then is we find someone who is just full of quotes. 
They're full of things that will make you feel good. They're full of things that will help you maybe just to think positively for a few minutes. But today, too many Christians are biblically illiterate. And borrowing from the article here, this short article this brother wrote, he said, I'm sorry if that comes across judgmental, but some Christians think some things are in the Bible that are not and that the Bible says some things it does not say. And I would have to agree with that. I don't mean just to, to lambast people or to be too judgmental, but at the same time, we want to be accurate. We want to be serious about our study of the Word of God. We are full of what used to be called bumper sticker theology. Right? You've been behind one of those cars. Or sometimes, some people might call it church sign theology. Right? You drive anywhere in the south, the Bible Belt, you're going to pass 100 churches, and you're going to see all kinds of things on their sign. But maybe today, too many Christians trust in social media theology rather than the actual word of God. Because now we have all these great memes and all these great pictures, and I almost tried to, to screen grab about 100 of them and throw them up here on a slide or two together. But there are still bumper stickers, there are still church signs, but yes, we live in a world of technology, we live in a world of social media, and so many people want to share things, and so many Christians struggle as they are on social media because they want to share things, but we need to be clear that we need to make sure they are biblically accurate, that they are from the actual word of God. There is a lot of evil there are a lot of terrible things. There are a lot of just flat-out false ideas and false doctrine that is promoted all over social media and the Internet. But there are also a lot of people who are, I'll even give them a little credit and say trying to be religious. I mean, they're trying to, but they're not going back far enough to make sure that what they're sharing is actually from the Word of God. Sometimes those things can be helpful. Sometimes they can flat-out be wrong. It's a challenge one of the things we like about social media is it can be very fast. You can scroll, 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 and you see something, and you can hit the share button, and you've shared it with everybody that follows you, and the next thing you know, you can move on, and you feel like you've done something that's great. And you might have, and you might also have been a person who was spreading false ideas. Too many Christians today trust in social media theology and think that that's good enough rather than the actual Word of God. So what we want to do in our last few moments here together this evening is consider some dangers. Three dangers that are listed here that I'd like to share with you. The dangers of biblical illiteracy. Number one, it makes us an easy target for those who want to mislead and take advantage of us. Once again, I, I would suggest that many people who share those memes, those pictures, those quotes are not always trying to mislead people. But very often they are, and there are others who will, who will absolutely on purpose try to discourage others. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians. A couple of passages, very quickly, number one, just Ephesians chapter 6, of course. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 is where the whole armor of God is. And I think, thought about that in regards to this point, that the, one of the dangers is it makes us an easy target. Why are we to wear the whole armor of God? So that we're protected. So that we are ready for all of the fiery darts, fiery arrows of the devil. That we are prepared to stand. That's why we're supposed to wear the whole armor of God. We are not an easy target when we are prepared. And do not forget 
that the whole armor of God, of course, includes taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 17. We don't need to be an easy target. We are not an easy target when we know the Word of God. Because you may have heard people say before that, that there used to be phrases and ideas that, that go around. You know, people said you could put your hand on a Church of Christ member, you know, because that, that was as good as the Bible. Well, there's, you know, that may not have been true about everybody, but there is something to be said when we are not an easy target because no matter what someone says, we know what the Word of God actually says. One of the dangers of just taking whatever comes our way or whatever we read on social media is we're an easy target. But if you're there in Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 14. Ephesians 4, really it begins back in verse 11, but for the equipping of the saints in verse 12 and verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that we should no longer be children. I, I don't want to you know, take away from Scripture, but we might could write in there just for tonight that we would no longer be easy targets. Children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And there's that phrase we love to quote, verse 16, excuse me, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. We need to be ready to do that. To do it, we have to know it. But I love verse 14. We think of the idea of children. We think about being tossed about to and fro and not succumbing to the trickery of men. When we're not knowledgeable in the word of God, we're, we're liable to fall for anything. I mean, it sounds good. Somebody might even attribute the quote to a particular verse. And we don't really know if it's that verse or not. We don't know it. And none of us have scripture absolutely memorized. But we don't even have our Bible close by or don't even look it up. We just kind of go ahead and share it on for the rest of the world. One of the dangers of biblical illiteracy is we can be an easy target sometimes. Number two is that text, T-E-X-T-S, of course, the text of the Bible, text taken out of context can create false hope and weak faith. Different parts of the Bible, different scriptures, different references, different texts taken out of context can create false hope and weak faith. I hope that you add in there, if you're making notes, add, certainly add into your notes the word context. I didn't get it on the screen, and I apologize for that. But that's what I want us to focus on for just a moment is the context. The context is almost the most important aspect for understanding God's word. And not only just understanding God's word in general, but to understanding words the way that words are used or verses are used, is that we understand the context. Now, here's what happens. The preacher says that, and everybody says, wait a minute, I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't know Greek. I don't understand all the context. We can. It's not because it's beyond our capability. It may be beyond our willingness to try or to work. I would promote for you again uh, the classes that go on every so often at the Greens Lake Road Congregation, the Chattanooga School of Preaching. Uh, I, have, I learned more in my time preparing to teach that than I had in a long time. I mean, I prepare to teach here all the time, but knowing that I had to look in and I taught four books in particular of the New Testament, the prison epistles, looking into the background, looking into the city, looking into who they were written to, all of those things provides great context when you go to read one of those epistles. It's not that I couldn't do it before. It's that I knew I needed to sit down and put the time to really 
understand. And now, from that point forward, every time I read Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, or Philemon, I want to have a different understanding of the context. But let's just talk about a few others real quick. You think about the word elder, right? Context helps us understand the words. When I say elder, what does that mean? Well, in the Bible, it could mean an aged person, right? An older person, an elderly, elder person. It could mean, from some sections of Scripture, the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin, right? They were called elders. So are the commands that are told who elders are supposed to be, is that only old people? Is that only those who are part of the Jewish religion and Jewish, Jewish Sanhedrin? Or is it those who are supposed to be leaders in the church? I, I mean, once again, that sounds maybe kind of trivial to you. You may un have understood that before, but words matter and the context matters. I always point out when I think about this idea, Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1, do you know that the Bible says there is no God? Psalm 14 and verse number 1, there is no God. But of course in context, the Bible, the psalmist actually says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. But yes, if somebody walks up to you and says, the Bible says there is no God, you say, well that's not true, that's not true. And they say, well yeah it is, and they point it out, well yeah, but it's the context. Well, we have to know the context. What about Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 20? <clears throat> Excuse me, Matthew 18, 20, the idea that where two or three are gathered in his name. How many people use that for an idea that, well, all I got to do is get a couple people together and we can worship and that be it. You know, we're good. We've checked our box. When they really realize that the context has to do, maybe discipline is not the best word, but dealing with sinning uh, brothers, with those who are dealing with sin between themselves, someone who has sinned. That's where that verse is used. It takes a little bit of study, but it helps us understand that. <clears throat> and even again, from the prison epistles, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Everybody knows that, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is misused a whole lot when it comes to the Bible, not understanding what Paul is really talking about in that particular section of Scripture. <clears throat> and I want to share one more just because Brian led the song tonight, a personal one. I think I've shared this here before. When I was a kid, we were in the car one time, and we were singing the song, Country, I think the Country Station was on, and I don't remember the song now, but came on the radio. I was just, you know, singing along in the car, and I sang the words, Oh My God, you know, and everybody was like, my mother looked at me like, what did you just say? You know, you said, Oh My God, and I said, well, yes, we sing it in church as well, right? Unto the O Lord, Oh My God, right? She's like, no, that's a song we sing at church services. It's okay then. It's not okay to sing it in every other song that you're singing about. And who knows what the country song might have been about at that time. Uh, but it's not okay to sing it just whenever you want to. Well, I learned a good deal at that point at a young age, and it's always stuck with me, about context. Yeah, we're not just supposed to toss out the name of, the word, or the name of God flippantly or at any time. But if we're singing praise unto him, even as we've been studying the Psalms, it can be a wonderful thing. Context. And text taken out of context can create false hope and weak faith. And then finally tonight, <clears throat> it can keep us from the wisdom of God. If you have your Bible, look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we'll look at chapter 1 first, then chapter 3. <clears throat> the danger of biblical illiteracy is that it can keep us from the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 17. You recall here that Paul is trying to do away with division. Some people are saying, well, I, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and, and I am of Crispus, and all, all these different people that are listed here, all these different names, or of Cephas, excuse me, uh, back in verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
And Paul is pointing out, you, know, you don't need to be divided among these different names. And down in verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Not with the wisdom of words, not with the wisdom of Paul, but with the words of God. The wisdom of God. God knew that if it came down to us men, some people would claim to be of Joel or of Brian or of Charles or of whoever. We would all have these factions based on who we want to follow. But the wisdom of God is that it's through his son, Jesus Christ. And I think I have preached this lesson here before, but people will take verse 17 to say that we're not supposed to be baptized. Out of context, right? Paul says, I did not come to baptize. Or that Christ did not send me to baptize. Well, let's look at the context. The context is that he's saying you don't need to be divided among men. And it's not the wisdom of words. And it's for sure not the wisdom of Paul. It's the wisdom of God. And when we fall to the danger of biblical illiteracy, we're caught up in the words of men. We're caught up in lots of earthly things and not the words of God. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 19, if you're there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but Paul kind of continues a similar idea a little bit later where he says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. When we think about the wisdom of God, when we think about the Bible, it's real easy to get caught up to get caught up in what we think or what some other scholarly person thinks. But I would suggest for you tonight to fill your mind with God's word. Don't take my word for it. Don't take anyone's word for the gospel. Spend time in the Bible. Read it. Study it for yourself. The only way to know God's word and not be biblically illiterate is to read it. To read it for yourself. Set aside a few minutes each day. We've asked you to do that already this year. Challenged ourselves to do that and then to sign the banner out there. To try to just encourage us just a little bit. Set aside a half hour. Set aside just a little bit of time to read the word. To read the context of certain passages. And don't fall into this trap. Don't fall into this formula. Don't be superstitious. Be biblical. Be a Christian. That's our desire. Hopefully that is your desire. And hopefully as we all strive to do that, in particular as a congregation here at Saudi, we'll be the strongest we can be in all things pertaining to the word of God. And not only can we make ourselves better, but then we can go forth and share that with the world. Tonight as we conclude this lesson, we're about to sing this song of encouragement that if you are here tonight and maybe you've not been the best at studying the word of God, You've not been as faithful to him as you should be as a child of God. We'll be singing to encourage you if you need to come back to him. If someone is here tonight, they're not a child of God. We'll be singing to encourage you as well that you would become a Christian even this night. Maybe you're here. You need the prayers of the church. We're thankful to be gathered together as a body, as a group of people who love one another and love the Lord, to sing this song of encouragement. If you are subject, would you come now as we stand together and as we sing?